I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, and it is our first Opposition Wednesday show of the year. And for that, we brought in Mr. Daniel Popper, who covers the charges for The Athletic. Daniel, how are you today? Doing fantastic. Ready to watch and cover some real football. It has been a long time of talking about things that don't matter, so it is exciting to actually get some product on the field. Uh, Before we do that, I did a little bit of homework to get ready for our show today. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a proud uh, Terp. Correct. Yeah, I went to University of Maryland, uh, worked for the student newspaper there, the Dimeback. Um, So very familiar with the DMV. And shout out to uh, the Diamondback, all the student reporters working there and all the people that I worked with there, because that was really, you know, my college education. That's where I learned how to be a reporter. That's where I learned how to write properly from some really great editors that were students at the time. So shout out to the Diamondback for sure. And you're not from that area originally, yet. No, originally from uh, outside New York City in Connecticut. Um, actually went down to the University of Maryland for journalism school, Philip Merrill uh, College of Journalism. Um, and yeah, it's really where I, I started uh, my career down there in the DMV, covered, you know, Maryland gymnastics, Maryland baseball, Maryland wrestling, eventually moved on to Maryland soccer, football, basketball. I did a uh, internship with MLB.com covering the Washington Nationals my junior summer. So really cover a lot of stuff all over the DMV. Uh, definitely holds a special place in my heart down there. We are not averse to talking about food on the show. My understanding is you are a taco connoisseur. Uh, what's the best way to eat a taco? What's your go-to taco? So I'm a big carne asada guy. I love like a good marinated skirt steak taco, marinated flank steak taco. I've, I've workshopped my own carne asada recipe out here in Los Angeles. Um, you can go find it on my Twitter, but a lot of citrus, cilantro, uh, and I actually found, I, I asked people on Twitter for their recipes, a couple secret parts of the marinade you can add in, a little soy sauce and a little bit okay. of beer actually helps out the marinade a lot. But yeah, I'm a big skirt steak. Give me a little skirt steak, a little raw onion, a little cilantro, a little salsa verde. I'm in heaven, baby. <laughs> I am a grilled fish guy. Do you like the soft shell or the hard shell? Gotta be a soft shell, right? Yeah, I'm more of like a soft shell flour tortilla guy, um, but I can go for like a, a soft shell corn tortilla, but I, I trend towards flour. I just think it has a little better flavor. Um, and then I, I, I'm a big structure guy. Like I feel like part of when I eat a taco, like I, the taste is obviously the most important thing, but the structure to me is also very important. Like I want to be able to take a bite, put it down and pick it back up. And I feel like with a hard shell, you take a bite and it crumbles everywhere and, and it loses its structure. I'm the same way with sandwiches, you know? Like you can make a delicious sandwich, but if you take a bite and the bread sliding all over the place and it's falling apart, to me, that's not a, a great sandwich. So structure is important. I love that. that that's my biggest <laughs> pet peeve with some of these places that make humongous hamburgers. Uh, and by exactly. the time I'm, done, I'm, I'm wearing the cheeseburger, I don't want to wear the uh, burger. So I'm totally with you there. Uh, Daniel, when the teams face off on Sunday, they'll have two defensive-minded head coaches. This is something new for the Chargers. Uh, They went offensive head coach for a while. I also think it was interesting. Both uh, coaches will have beaten cancer, too. I didn't realize that about Brandon. He talked much about that. 
Yeah, he said actually on Monday that he never met Ron Rivera, but obviously looking from afar, just respects what he was able to do last year amid a pandemic and obviously going on his own cancer journey. Um, Brandon Staley um, actually ended up uh, beating cancer in his 20s. His mother passed away from breast cancer. His father also had cancer um, and his aunt as well. So it's something that's really affected his family. And when you, when you talk about sort of Brandon Staley's approach to life and to football, I mean, that's a big part of, of his approach, how much energy he has, how hard he works, how goal-oriented he is, how detail-oriented he is. I think a lot of that stems from what he's been through. And so there is a mutual respect there between Brandon Staley and Ron Rivera, even though the two have not really crossed paths before or don't really have much of a personal relationship. He's going to bring a, a 34 defense, right? What, what does that mean for, for Bosa? Is he, yeah, is so he both, yeah. that outside stand-up guy? Or yeah, yeah. So he's going to be standing up a little bit more. Um, the one thing about this defense, though, is it's, it's technically a 3-4, but they mix up the fronts so often. Typically what they'll do is when they go to sub-packages, like if they go to nickel, they'll take a defensive lineman off the field and then basically move those edge rushers into more common defensive end for three roles. Um, so you, it, when you look at it on tape, when they're in nickel, it almost always looks like a, like a four, three and not really a three, four. But I, the one thing about this defense is it's, it's going to be moving parts. It's going to be very malleable. You know, Derwin James is going to be playing all over the field. Joey Bosa is going to be doing a lot of different things at the end of the day for Joey Bosa, like his job responsibility is getting after the quarterback, but they want him to be able to do a little more than that, just so it's in the back of the, of the offense's mind, right? Like if you are watching tape and you see 65 plays and Joey Bosa is getting after the quarterback for 64 of them, but on one play, he drops into the flat in his own coverage defense. All of a sudden you have to prepare for that in your game plan. And that's really the philosophy behind the defense. Let's move these really good premium defensive players all around the field so that opposing offenses have to deal with a lot, not just in the game plan during the week, but also in their pre-snap and post-snap reads. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I can, I can tell you from experience that when Washington played that 34 and they would drop one of those premier pass rushers, you know, the fan base was just so irate that they would uh, you know, be dropping them into coverage. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. And it's important to mix it up a little bit. Uh, it's interesting. They've also brought in Joe Lombardi uh, from the Saints. What yeah. kind of free range does he have with the new head coach to kind of do his own thing? And what kind of offense are they looking to run now? Well, it's all stemming from Brandon Staley. And, and Joe Lombardi and Brandon Staley actually go way back. Joe Lombardi was the offensive coordinator at Mercyhurst College in Northeast Ohio when Brandon Staley was a fifth-year senior there in 2005. I actually wrote a feature about that relationship. You can go check that out on The Athletic. So they are very familiar with each other. And Joe Lombardi has kind of shepherded Brandon Staley throughout his coaching career. And actually in 2009, when Brandon Staley was still a graduate assistant in college, he brought, Lombardi did, Staley to the Saints quarterback's room. He allowed Brandon Staley to sit in for an entire week with Drew Brees, with Sean Payton, with Joe Lombardi, with Pete Carmichael, and really just absorb what it looks like, you know, to be in an NFL quarterback's room and he fell in love with the whole same scheme in that moment you know just how complex it is the idea of what they call blitzing the defense which is just you know a bunch of different formations a bunch of different personnel packages and constantly changing and substituting to keep the defense off balance um, so that's really where he fell in love with that philosophy so it made a lot of sense 
when he got his head coaching job that he would hire Joe Lombardi to sort of bring that offense over because it's something that Brandon Staley has admired from afar and coaching against it as a, as a defensive assistant, you know, throughout his career. And the other thing is, you know, they are taking bits and pieces from a number of different places. So the passing offense and the philosophical um, structure of it is Saints, Sean Payton, but they also went out and they got Shane Day, who is the quarterback's coach with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So a lot of the run scheme stuff is going to be, you know, what is going to be more of the Shanahan system and some of the stuff they do there because Brandon Staley sees what Kyle Shanahan is doing in San Francisco and is like, this is some of the most creative run stuff that you see in the NFL. And, you know, primarily it was wide zone, which is what his father, you know, made famous in Denver, but they started implementing more gap scheme stuff in recent years. It's just super creative the way they go about it. So they brought in Shane Day to help sort of implement some of that aspects of it. And then they go out and they get Kevin Coger, who's the tight ends coach now. He was an offensive assistant with um, Matt LaFleur in, in Green Bay. And so you'll be sort of plucking ideas and coaches from these various systems that he views as premium offenses in the NFL, and it's all kind of coming together. But the overarching philosophical structure of it, the foundation of it, is that same scheme. If I did my math right, it's five offensive coordinators – now for the young quarterback going all the way to yeah. college, what what does he think about the new offense and what are they trying to do to like make things a little easier for him in a brand new system? So the funny thing is they didn't. They were like, you know, they established this relationship. Brandon Staley, you know, met and 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 got to know Justin Herbert. Joe Lombardi did the same thing and they were like, this guy is very smart and he has the capacity to do this. So they threw everything at him. I mean – day one of training camp and even in, in you know the initial installs during OTAs they just threw the entire playbook at him everything and they were like and, and Justin Herbert told me he was like listen man we were drowning like we were drowning like it was really hard and the defense whooped our ass early in training camp because we were trying to wrap our minds around everything in the system but you're talking about a 4-0 student in college biology major extremely extremely intelligent human being and Justin Herbert not just football player and so as time went on over training camp he wrapped his mind around it, and he's actually further ahead now than he was last year in terms of his pre-snap stuff, in terms, of, in terms of what he's doing at the line of scrimmage. He's taking ownership of the offense. He wants to be the guy dictating the protections. Last year, it was, you know, he was flipping it, right? It was like, either the, we're on the right side, let's flip it to the left side. We're on the left side, we're flipping it to the right side. Like, he wasn't IDing the mic. He wasn't going the, the next, you know, on the next level to sort of be that sort of, you know, pre-snap quarterback that can really dictate protections the center Dan Feeney was doing a lot of it this year he's taking it on himself you know he removed his wristband about 10 days in a training camp um, and he really feels like listen I want to be the guy that's running the show at the line of scrimmage in terms of protection so you know they did not take it easy on Justin Herbert you know they really tried to make it hard on him because they felt like he was capable of, of sort of uh, mastering all of that and I think he's very close to getting there we'll see how it actually uh, comes to fruition in real game action I'm always confused about, like, I'll, I'll look at Eckler and not expect much, and then all of a sudden he's put up really big numbers. Tell me what it is about Eckler that I'm missing and why they love him so much there. His versatility, I think. Um, he can line up all over the field, and he's an above-average route runner uh, for a running back. Um, and it's not just wheel routes out of the backfield. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, slant routes out of the slot. You're talking about go routes and comeback routes. Uh, on the outside um, and then he's really hard to bring down you know a lot of guys say that uh, he's the strongest pound for pound player on the chargers he's a workout freak at his size um, and so you know you watch some some tape on him he just he's like a bowling ball 
he very rarely gets taken down on first contact. And that's a, a really great trait um, to have as a running back. Um, extremely hard worker, super intelligent player, um, just in terms of his spatial awareness. And, and you know, he had a great connection with Philip Rivers, just in terms of leaking into the specific areas where Philip could find him on checkdowns, little shovel passes. And then, you know, he is so great after the catch. Um, I mean, he caught 92 balls in 2019. Uh, you is know, obviously right? last, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously, obviously last year had an injury, but I mean, that was the offense basically. It was right. like, you know, Philip had no time to throw and he would just check down to Eckler and Eckler return, you know, a two yard reception to a 12 yard gain. Um, but I think it's all of those things. It's versatility. It's, it's run after the catch. And then it's just how strong he is. And I think the interesting thing with Eckler in this offense is, you know, Look over at the Saints. Who do they have over there at a running back who's very versatile, right? Alvin Kamara. And I think that they're going to use Austin Eckler in the same role. And uh, a little fantasy plug here. I mean, I think I think Eckler is a is a top three fantasy back this year in a, in a PPR league, hundred percent, no question about it. We uh, we've been doing fantasy a weekly fantasy show here, and, and everybody tells me all the time that that Eckler is the way to go. That he's going to have a yeah. huge year. It, it's interesting to me, the, these teams, the two teams that face off Washington and the Chargers, it feels like they kind of have the same vibe of teams heading in the same direction. And, and to me, they'll always be linked a little bit with the with the, um, the Herbert and Chase Young draft. I mean, I yeah. don't think Washington fans are disappointed in Chase Young by any means, but, you know, it just will be what it'll be, the offensive rookie of the year versus the defensive rookie of the year again. Uh, and the other one, of course, is there were a lot of people during that Derwin draft that had visions of Sean Taylor in their mind. Uh, Washington went Deron Payne instead. What does Derwin look like this year? Is he back from that injury? Is he is he yeah. that he'll be again? Because uh, he looks incredible. He's one of the most dynamic players in the league to me. No doubt about it. Yeah, he looks incredible. I mean, he looks incredible. He looks like the same old Derwin. He looks like all pro level Derwin. And I expect him to be that player this season. And the one interesting thing with Derwin is he is the signal caller on defense. You, know, you don't usually see that with a defense. Usually it's your Mike linebacker, but right. you know, Brandon Staley last year with the Rams had John Johnson calling their plays in the huddle as a strong safety. Um, and he's doing the same thing this year with Derwin. I asked him, you know, midway through training camp, like, is it a, is it that you like your strong safety to be the guy dictating everything? Cause he can see everything in front of him. Or is it just that you have two, really special players and John Johnson and Derwin James, that that's the direction you went. And he said, it's a little bit of both. Um, but he made it clear to me that like, listen, Derwin James has earned that right as just a very special player, a special communicator, a high IQ player. And then the physical traits, I mean, jump off the page. He's enormous. He's enormous. Flies around. He's around the ball and he makes plays and he forces turnovers. Like that's what he does. And he does it on every level. Like he, it's crazy. He, he, there are very few cornerbacks in the NFL that can guard Keenan Allen one-on-one. I don't know if there is, I don't know if there's a single one outside of Chris Harris, who's now on the chargers and Derwin James locks him down in one-on-one drills. This is a safety, a six foot three safety covering a slot receiver one-on-one and winning those battles. Like he could very easily play cornerback in the NFL. That's how good he is in coverage. And then you talk about the fact that you can line him up on the edge and he can play edge rusher as a blitzer, right? Like That's he can ridiculous. cover run, and then he can, he, and then he runs and hits sideline to sideline, like a linebacker, like a will linebacker covering running backs in the flat. Like there's nothing he can't do on a football field that you want a defensive player to do. It's always been about health. That's why he fell to 17 in the draft. 
That's why he's sort of fallen off the map here the last two years, missing 27 of 32 games. But when he's on the field, he's the type of guy that can go win you a championship single-handedly. Daniel Popper is our guest today who covers the Chargers for The Athletic. Make sure you go over and subscribe. Usually it's uh, they got some kind of deal going on. It's uh, you, you literally can't consume all the great stuff they've got over there. I didn't realize this either, Daniel. If if, uh, if you're reading an article on The Athletic, uh, you get credit for that, right? If, if somebody subscribes while reading. Oh, yeah. So yep. make sure you do that. Very important. Uh, Daniel, we've started something, a new segment for this season called the confidence game. So okay. we'll do it like this. Who do you have more confidence in the Chargers O-line or Washington's D-line? Oh, Washington's D-line, 100%. We haven't seen this O-line play together yet this preseason. Corey Lindsley, obviously they gave him the biggest contract ever given to a center. Um, he hasn't played all preseason. Obviously, you expect him to be great. Matt Filer and Ode Ibushi, they're two new starting guards they signed in for agency, played 16 combined snaps, or 16 snaps each, I should say, in the preseason. Rashawn Slater only played 20 snaps in the preseason. Brian Belager, their right tackle, didn't play at all, and he's a little nicked up. Like, I expect them Were to be a lot Were you surprised by that? That they didn't play anybody, really? No, I wasn't surprised because uh, Dean Spanos, the owner of the team, from the jump this, this offseason, made it a priority. Like, I want to get to week one healthy. Just over the last two seasons, I mean, they lost Mike Pouncey, their starting center, in training camp last year. They lost Derwin in training camp the last two years. It's just been – they haven't been able to get to week one with their full squad, and that was absolutely the priority, and that was aligned with what the GM Tom Telesco wanted and what the head coach Brand Staley wanted. So I think, you know, they put everyone in bubble wrap. Like you said, like when you when everyone uses that term, put these players in bubble wrap, like this is as close to that as you're going to get from an NFL organization. So I wasn't surprised by that, but I need to see this group come together. Like I need to see how they look um, in terms of their cohesion, their synergy. I expect them to be a lot better than the Chargers have been on the offensive line in the past. But the, but Washington has, in my opinion, the most talented defensive line in football. And so there's no comparison there in terms of how confident I am because Washington's gone out and done it for a year. Uh, I'm excited about that. Rashawn Slater picked, though. I do think he's going to be really good. How has yeah. he looked so far? He's looked fantastic. Yeah, there was one day where, uh, you know, we really got a close look at, O-line, D-line, one-on-ones, and, and the period ended with Rashawn Slater going up against Joey Bosa, and he, like, won the rep. And it was so eye-opening to me because I watched Joey Bosa go against um, – how do I say this politely? Some mediocre offensive linemen uh, <laughs> in Chargers camp in my uh, three seasons covering the team, and he just abuses everybody that he goes up against. And to see him really struggle to get by a tackle in a one-on-one -on -one situation was just like, okay – you know, this kid's got it. And, and you know, I reported a big feature on Rashawn Slater after he got drafted. Um, this kid is, you know, 100% football, 100% of the time, extremely high work ethic. Um, you know, his brother told me a story that they went on a uh, family cruise when uh, Rashawn Slater was in college and the whole family sitting uh, on beach chairs, sipping pina coladas and uh, eating some mango. And there's Rashawn Slater on the pool deck doing pass pro sets. Well, all these, all these vacationers look on like he's crazy. So that's the kind of player you're getting. Just a desire yeah. to be great. Uh, he started, you know, really polishing his technique from a young age, you know, 6 a.m. workouts uh, all summer long, starting at 14 years old. This guy's polished. He's going to be an excellent player from day one, both in the run game and pass protection. They really believe he's the type of guy that can, you know, protect on an island at tackle against elite edge rushers. And, you know, having that player is monumental for an NFL team. And, and we'll see. I mean, they went up head to head in 2019. I mean, that tape is fun to watch. And, and that's really when Sean Slater 
landed on the map in terms of being a, a potential first round NFL prospect. So they'll be going at it again here and it'll be really, really fun to watch. I'm excited for it. Super excited for it. And the last one on the confidence game, who do you have more confidence in the Chargers secondary or the Washington's new collection of weapons? That's a tough one. I'm going to go with the Chargers secondary because I feel like they're going to be very, very, very good. They're fully healthy. Um, and, you know, they have experience and talent. You know, Chris Harris is going to be a really key piece in the secondary, um, you know, in slot corner, uh, in nickel packages, but then also moving back to safety. Derwin James will be moving uh, into the slot in like a big nickel package. Um, so I, I, I like Chris Harris and the experience he brings. I obviously love Derwin James. You heard me talk about him before. My only question marks um, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. is going to be playing their rookie corner. And I mean, playing corner in the NFL is hard, regardless of how old you are. But if you're a rookie, you know, you, you're expecting some big plays. You're expecting some pass breakups, some interceptions from, from Asante Samuel Jr. But he's also going to get beat a little bit. Um, and then they, the, another question mark I have is Nasir Adderley at free safety. Um, I think he's going to be better in this scheme because he's going to be playing a little more aggressively, a little more downhill than he was in that single high Gus Bradley Seahawks scheme that the Chargers have played. Uh, in his first two years in the league. So some question marks, but I feel like Brandon Staley is a very high-level defensive coach. And if one thing I'm most confident in is that this defense is going to be good if they stay healthy. So I'm going to take the Chargers secondary. But hell, I mean, four <laughs> – I mean, they got three sub-four-four four guys in their skill position group. Between Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, and Antonio Gibson. I mean, I saw that – once I saw Washington – Curtis Samuel, I was like, damn. Like, they are, they are putting the right pieces around Fitz – because I covered him in 2016 and that was one of the best seasons he's had in the NFL. And he had Eric Decker on one side and Brandon Marshall on the other side. And when he has pieces, uh, he can be a real dangerous quarterback. And I'm really excited to see what that position group looks like, but I'll trend towards the Chargers secondary. Uh, and who, who, uh, who covers Terry? Is that a one-on-one -on -one thing? Do they, do they switch sides? Is somebody going to be tasked with, with covering him or they'll just play scheme and everybody sits. I think it'll, it'll, it'll be a mix. Um, but Michael Davis is their top corner. So I imagine we will see 43 Michael Davis on Terry McLaurin for the most part. Um, but they're going to mix things up. I mean, the one thing about this defense is you're not going to see the same coverage play to play. Like it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. Um, sometimes a lot, they'll, they'll always start in their two high shell. Sometimes they'll rotate to cover three with a single high you know, sometimes they'll play quarters. So it's a lot of different stuff they're going to throw out. So a lot, you know, you're going to see a lot of blitzing. So um, I think it's going to be mix and match, but I think, I think we'll see mostly Michael Davis on Terry McLaurin. And let's wrap with this, Daniel. What to you makes a good season for the Chargers this year? Yeah, I would say meaningful games in December. That's sort of what I've been saying. You know, it's hard for me to sit here with the, with a brand new head coach, who's 38 years old, a brand new coaching staff with virtually no head coaching experience at any level of the coaching staff and say like, they're going to set the NFL on fire. I think it's possible, but I think the range of outcomes are pretty large. Like I, I think the ceiling is a Super Bowl, but I think the floor is like sub 500, right? So I think if they are playing meaningful games in December, which is something they haven't done the last two years and they're in the mix at that time of year, I think it's successful because you're building something and you're moving in the right direction. Um, and that would mean that Justin Herbert is playing pretty well if you're if you're sort of in the mix there in December. Uh, you want to throw out a score prediction for Sunday? Score prediction, I will say 
Washington 21, Chargers 17. There you have it. He is Daniel Popper. You can find him at Daniel R. Popper on Twitter. He's on The Athletic. Check him out. Uh, what do you got coming up next? I actually have a big feature uh, coming out on Thursday. Uh, it's about Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and why they may be the next great quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL. I had to sit down with Justin Herbert. I had to sit down with Keenan Allen, got a lot of good stuff on sort of their first season together, some inside info, a little behind the scenes look at that relationship. So I'm really excited for that story coming out Thursday. Very excited about that one and the NFL season. Danny, thanks so much for giving us some time today. This was fun. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, man.